0: I'm Aaron Titus, it's September 1st, 2006, and this is the Privacy Podcast. Welcome to the Privacy Podcast, I'm Aaron Titus. I'm podcasting sort of live from my bathroom facing a row of towels. It's the quietest place in the house and, significantly, the most private. This show is the second in a series examining identity security at our nation's colleges and universities, and it's for anyone who has ever attended college. Last time I discussed organizational risk behaviors that put your identity at risk at universities. Today I'll be discussing technological risk behaviors at universities. To recap, 65,000 identities are compromised each day through universities and university related organizations. The problem is nationwide, plaguing major universities and small town colleges. Students and former students are at greater risk than they may think. They must give universities private information about finances, credit history, photos, medical history, location, and social security number. As I began to investigate, I was able to identify two major categories of risk behaviors that put your identity at risk, organizational and technological risk behaviors. They include improper use of the social security number, risk naivety, resistance to change, administrative decentralization, shadow systems, unregulated servers, and improper hard drive sanitation. Last time I explained that some universities improperly use your SSN as a student ID. Though universities are generally trending away from this practice, remember that they keep sensitive information on file for decades after students leave. Your information is their property once you give it to them, and all property, including identities, can be bought, sold, stolen, misplaced, rented, given, or lost. We also discussed risk naivety, Familiarity with sensitive information often leads to a casual relationship with that information. That's why you'll often find a culture of insensitivity or naivety in some organizations. And it's also the reason that companies ship backup tapes worth millions and so on credit by a DHL, UPS, or FedEx. All workplaces resist change. Universities are no different, especially with high staff turnover. Administrative decentralization allows a good deal of academic freedom but makes it nearly impossible to impose a university-wide policy, such as a privacy policy. This week, I'm going to cover common technological behaviors that put your identity at risk. The first are shadow systems. No, really, they're actually called shadow systems. (laughs) Really, couldn't they have picked a descriptive term with better PR value, shadow systems? Shadow systems are parallel databases that departments, third-party vendors, or even faculty copy from the main system and maintain separately. They can be sophisticated databases under high security or simple Excel spreadsheets on a personal laptop. Nobody knows how many there are since a faculty member can create a new one at any time. These casual databases are the most dangerous because they're often the least secure. Here's a perfect example of an insecure shadow system. A while ago, I did a simple Google search and found that the Sigma Chi fraternity at the University of Idaho posted personal information of 2,622 current students and alumni. At least 1,600 of the names were clearly dumped from a university database. The list included names, addresses, phone numbers, graduation dates, high schools, transferring colleges and an indication if any of the alumni had ever been expelled. Almost all of the information is sensitive and much of it is confidential. The next problem is unregulated servers. Most universities spend millions on IT with a small army of IT professionals vigilantly guarding the core systems, but some professors or third-party vendors put servers outside that core, hundreds of them. They're often for legitimate academic use on a tight budget, and in a university environment where information must flow freely, they don't want to be hampered by security. These servers are difficult to track, even more difficult to regulate, and impossible to eliminate. But here's the problem. Many professors will also post confidential student information on these servers. Outside the core and unprotected by firewalls, they are particularly vulnerable to hacking. I interviewed one university official, and here's how he explained it. ISS went out and uh, discovered, I guess is that's where I'm putting it, over 250 systems outside the core that contained confidential personal data on them and has been working to secure them behind firewalls in the core and the data center. What? Over 250 systems outside the core that contained confidential personal data on them. More than 250 unregulated servers with confidential information that they've found. Nobody knows for sure how many there are, and nobody knows how quickly they're multiplying. The final technological risk behavior I'm going to cover today is improper hard drive sanitation. As you probably know, when you delete a file, it isn't actually deleted. Only the table of contents is erased, so the computer can't find the file. Unless the hard drive is properly sanitized, it is possible to recover almost all data. There are many ways to sanitize a hard drive, but they are all laborious and therefore expensive. In a well-publicized study, privacy specialist and MIT graduate Simpson Garfinkel purchased old hard drives from law firms, computer stores, and eBay. 235 in all, part-time, and on a budget of less than $1,000, he was able to recover thousands of credit card numbers, detailed financial information on hundreds of people, confidential corporate files, and thousands of emails and personal journals. Though it seems that my school follows a strict sanitization protocol, not all schools have them, and even if they do, they're very difficult to enforce in a decentralized campus. Here's this episode's privacy tip. Whenever you give your address to an organization, include a unique code such as a bogus apartment number in your address. That way, you can tell where your junk mail is coming from and who sold your address to whom. For example, if you're ordering something from Acme Company and live at a house at 123 Main Street, add a unique bogus apartment number that will uniquely identify Acme Company. If you're ordering something online, it's even easier. You can actually put the name of the company in the Address To line. Then, just make sure you keep track of all the codes and bogus apartment numbers in an Excel file. Once you start keeping track, you'll be surprised at how many places you share your contact information. If you have a question or comment about privacy, email me. Privacy at dot net. That's A-A-R-O-N. T I T U S dot net. Statistics are from California-based PrivacyRights org. Today's music is Leahona by Croatian artist Dale, online at PodSafeNetwork dot com. And though I can't vouch for the words, I like the music, Baba Ganoush by Josh Woodward at JoshWoodward dot com and PodSafeMusicNetwork dot com. Sort of live and sleep deprived from my bathroom. This is Aaron Titus.